1: Game day on Gamecock Central Radio. Welcome in Emerson Phillips with Wes Mitchell getting ready for South Carolina and Texas A&M. Wes, we got a 3.30 kickoff today. It'll be on the SEC Network, and I like this matchup, Wes. You know, I know that the Gamecocks have not beaten A&M. It's the fifth meeting ever between the two schools. Carolina's 0-4 against the Aggies. But I like the fact that it's a relatively new opponent. It's somebody that we're not used to seeing historically. And I like the fact that Carolina plays A and M, even though the Gamecocks haven't found a way to beat them yet. I think it's a good matchup. Yeah, I
2: think you look uh, the last two seasons. You know, I think most people would sort of give it to A and M that they they're the most talented team, at least especially on paper that they've had more talent than South Carolina. But you know, the Gamecocks have have found a way to to hang around. You know, uh, in, in both of these games, I, I think last year or two years ago, the last time they're at Williams-Brice Stadium. A and M won twenty four thirteen, but um, you know I distinctly remember South Carolina was about to get the football back in the fourth quarter, forced a punt, was going to get the ball back down just eight, and uh, had the uh, the punt returner muffed the punt, and A and M recovered and they kicked the field goal to make an eleven you know eleven point final, and then last year South Carolina goes to College Station, I don't remember a soul giving them really any chance to go win that game, and then. Lo and behold, they're winning seventeen to seven in the second half, and and had every opportunity to to knock them off at their place. So, the, on paper, you know, I think you'd maybe give A and M uh, at least a touchdown edge if you were handicapping this thing, maybe even more, frankly. But you know, you look, and South has played them close, and and A and M has has played some really good teams close, but then at the same time. Uh, They they played Arkansas close too, and Arkansas is not a very good football team. So I don't I don't know how much we quite know about this A and M squad yet. We know they have some talent, but uh, you know, South Carolina has some things go its way. This could just be another fourth quarter type game with uh, whoever can make a few plays late going to you know and winning it.
1: Plenty to talk about for South Carolina Texas A and M today here on Gamecock Central Radio and Wes. We're going to get into all of it. Uh, The running game obviously will be key today for both teams. Particularly when A&M has the football, I think that's the top story from a schematic standpoint or an X's and O standpoint, so we're going to get into that. But I wanted to talk about the Gamecock quarterback situation with you first. A&M's 4-2 two overall, 2-1 two and one in the league, a couple of non-conference wins around losses to Clemson and Alabama, and they've won their last two over Arkansas, and last Saturday... Over 13th ranked Kentucky, 20 to 14 in overtime. So A&M's into the polls. They're number 22 in the country this week. Gamecocks coming in three and two, two and two in the league. Wins over Coastal Carolina, Vanderbilt, Missouri. Losses to Georgia and Kentucky. And Wes, that Missouri game last week was something else. I think, like a lot of Gamecock fans, I've spent much of the week trying to wrap my brain around all the crazy things that happened in that game, with the pouring rain in the second half and the lightning delay and the way the Gamecocks were able to come back. You know, the pick six that Carolina got was such a huge play, and it was in the driving rain, and the student section was going crazy when when Green got in there and celebrated the touchdown. And it was just a a really fun win for South Carolina. And what a day for Michael Skarniecki, a senior fifth-year guy that's waited West, you know, his whole career, he never got a start. He finally got in there and he led the game-winning fourth-quarter drive. He threw three touchdown passes with no picks. He played a fantastic game when the Gamecocks won, man. Just very happy for him.
2: Yeah, it was an all-around just weird football game. I, I think that game is sort of the perfect example of you can you can plan all you want and you can, you know, put in the the response to any, any scenario you can dream up. You know, this is what we're going to do if this happens. This is what we're going to do if that happens. And then sometimes uh, it just all gets thrown out the window. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you watched the SEC film thing on uh, on SEC Network this week that had Will Muschamp mic'd up, but they had a little clip on there where, and I don't know at what point in the week he was looking at it, but Muschamp was like, ah, weather report, uh, you know, 90 degrees and clear on Saturday. And then, boom, you know, this storm pop, just pops up. And, you know, I, I was talking – I was talking to people that were on Garner's Ferry Road, like, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Columbia, that's like three exits up um, from the exit for the stadium. And it's perfectly clear weather outside, and there's a monsoon at the stadium yeah. uh, that just – and if you even looked at the radar, it was this tiny little blip, and it was just over williams Bryce. it felt like. And yep, you are like, yep. well, that's going to break up in about, in about five or ten minutes of, of real time, not game time. And then the thing – just settled in and kept getting bigger and stronger. And I'm like, what? what is happening? Um, so no matter how much planning you do, you just got to, you know, that's one of chance uh, mottos, I think, with this program. Is you got to just keep playing, so what, now what. And this team just sort of kept fighting. They had to go through two lightning delays. And um, they just, it was such a weird game on so many levels. You had really both both special teams gave up. What you, what you would really call turnovers, they aren't technically turnovers, but uh, invisible turnovers where both, both teams had a punter, you know, drop a ball that led to the other team getting the football in great field position. South Carolina had a punt blocked as well. A&M, or excuse me, Missouri had a, quote, surprise onside kick that the coach tried to say was not a surprise onside kick, but I'm 98% sure it was a surprise onside kick that didn't, Go their way. So both special teams sort of gave two invisible turnovers and then a pick six, the driving rain, uh, two game winning field goals, a backup quarterback. It was just, uh, it was madness. And at the end of the day, South Carolina somehow ended up on the winning side of it.
1: What a day at Williams Bryce. So, West, the Gamecocks got to be feeling good. I think there's a, a warm feeling around the program this week because of that Missouri win. You know, obviously, that's not going to help them this Saturday. Against Texas A&M is not going to help them slow down Travion Williams or Kellen Mond, but there's definitely a good feeling around the program after this win. And A&M's coming in hot too. Wes, you know they they struggled two weeks ago against Arkansas in a surprise that you know Arkansas stayed within seven points of them in College Station, but they came back the following week last Saturday and beat 13th-ranked Kentucky and really just out physical Kentucky. They whipped. I mean, the game went overtime. Kentucky scored in the fourth quarter. They got a fumble return for a touchdown to help put that game at OT, but Kentucky's offense did next to nothing in that game, and uh, A&M played a very physical brand of football against them.
2: Yeah, I mean, you look, Kentucky had virtually no snaps in in A&M territory for for most of that game, and that's that's a Kentucky team that really, frankly, was able to out-physical South Carolina at times and uh, was able to control that football game clearly uh, with some help from – from some turnovers early in that game as well. So, you know, that, that's not a great sign that they were ever able to do that if you're a South Carolina fan. But the other side of that is that every game stands on, stands on merit. I, I think you look, though, at what Missouri was able to do in the running game this past week against South Carolina, all the explosive plays, and you look at what Kellen Mond and that bunch are able to do in the running game. But then the other side, the fact South Carolina really didn't have a whole lot of running room itself against Missouri, and the fact that this A&M, Defense is one of the best in the country against the run. Uh, all those things are, are matchup factors that, that really don't point in South Carolina's favor. Um, now, a little you know, a little different scheme from A and I I don't think they rely on tempo quite like Missouri does. Um, you know, South Carolina has shown it can stop the run in spurts. Uh, is the interesting thing? They uh, they were bad against Kentucky in the first half against the run, and they were surprisingly good in the second half against Kentucky against the run. So uh, you never quite know how these things are going to actually play out in real life. But on on paper, those are the, those are the two things, you know, the running game on both sides that South Carolina is going to need to play better comparatively to last week. If they're going to go win this football game.
1: All right, let's start there West with the Texas A&M running game. Williams is the top rusher in the SEC. Now that A&M's defense really kind of slammed the door on Benny Snell of Kentucky last week. So Williams is the top rusher in the conference right now, 138 yards against the Wildcats. And, Wes, the Gamecocks are averaging giving up about 196 yards a game on the ground. And, obviously, you know, the, the in terms of breaking down the matchup, you have to start there, Wes. What is Carolina going to be able to do to begin to think about
2: slowing down the run? Yeah, well, I think the, the scary part is that I, I think – some of their issues in stopping the run, Emerson, have been at all three levels of the defense: D-line, linebacker, and in the secondary. I think at times you're uh, you start with the defensive line. If if they're allowing those offensive linemen to get to the second level to their linebackers, then you know, frankly, they're they're not doing their jobs. At times, you have a defensive lineman who is able to get into the backfield and sort of knife in there and potentially create a negative play, but. Uh, then there's a missed tackle on the other side of it. Uh, linebacker play, I think, frankly, has to get better all the way around. Then uh, you look at the secondary, whenever whenever you have these very long explosive runs, not just an intermediate-type run, when you have a true you know, 50-yard run, 60-yard run. Uh, Missouri had two very, very long runs in that game. That, most of the time, to me, means that uh, somebody in the secondary probably took a bad angle and wasn't able to or, – or missed a tackle and wasn't able to get – that, you know your last line of defense was not able to get the ball carrier to the ground or slow him up enough for help to get there so to me the thing is there there's issues on all three levels um now like i said positive of that is that they've shown in flashes that they can stop the run and um you know a m's a team that to me has is very very hit or miss as well you look at them they're, they'll come up with big plays uh, they'll come up with explosive plays both in the passing game and in the running game but they also will go through stretches where they're very inconsistent, where uh, they shoot themselves in the foot. They go backwards. They drop the football. So it's really, to me, a story of, you know, Mind and Williams are very, very good talents. But from an execution standpoint, you're talking about an A&M offense and a Carolina defense that have both been, uh, I think, pretty inconsistent this year.
1: A&M open is a two-point favorite, and the line is held at about two-and-a-half all week. It's a a two-and-a-half-point line right now. A&M the favorite. Wes, how much of the Gamecocks' problem stopping the run this year can be attributed to the fact that they don't have D.J. Wanham? If Wanham is healthy, when he returns, presumably after the bye week, that's going to allow Bryson Allen Williams to play more linebacker, and that, that's got to help the Gamecock defense. Mm-hmm. Talk about that whole situation.
2: Yeah, and, and I think it's one of those things where you, you don't want to make an excuse for them because clearly there's more issues than that, but also clearly they they missed D.J. Wanham a great deal. I, I mean, you're talking about both in the in run defense and uh, pass rush, you were talking about having the ability to have Wanham on one side setting the edge as sort of that buck uh, defensive end spot, and Bryce Allen Williams on the other side as that strong side linebacker, um, you know, sort of uh, setting the edge for South Carolina. So you you lose that ability, and I, I think that that's hurt them a great deal because you're not talking about a defense that has the depth to withstand losses to their best players. I, I think, you know, long-term when you're building a program, you'd hope that you could, could build up enough depth to where losing a guy isn't as big of a hit as it, really should be, but uh, I think uh, with where South Carolina is right now, losing Wanham has certainly hurt them, and you look at the way some of these teams have been able to sort of get to the outside and run these stretch plays to the outside. The edge either doesn't get set or or a guy shoots inside instead of outside and allows him back to bounce it outside. Um, Wanham not only a very good player just talent-wise, physical-wise, but he's also one of the sharpest minds on the team you know one of the sharpest football minds on the team as well so uh, i think having that on the field is something that you 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 really really uh, have lacked ever you know ever since the coast of carolina game so um certainly the other players are going to have to step up in the meantime but they'll uh, they'll love having number eight back out there whenever that happens
1: injury still a bit of a problem for the game cox west jt ebay the rice transfer who's started at safety much of the year out again this week and we may see more of nick harvey the a&m transfer today
0: yeah it could be more nick
2: harvey but i think jamias will get the start again at at safety he uh i thought he was all over the field last week Uh, played well had an interception. um of course steven montac will be your other starter at safety but Another interesting storyline there with you know Dick Harvey. Uh, he came in. I, I don't think he's played probably as much as he thought that he would. He started out camp as a as a cornerback, was working with the ones, and then had to slide to safety for um, you know really for for need for the team. They needed guys to step up at safety, and but right now he's one of their top backups at safety. And um, I, I thought it was interesting that Will Muschamp was asked this week if they had gotten any knowledge from Harvey like scouting reports, and and he said, no, you know, he hadn't even talked to him because uh, he didn't want to put Nick Harvey in in that position. So I I thought that was kind of an interesting exchange uh, during the press conference.
1: Wes, uh, we had a podcast with Mark Passwaters from AggieYale.com, our Rivals Network partner. We're going to hear from Mark later in the podcast today, get a look at the Texas A&M perspective uh, on today's game day podcast. But Mark said that Kellen Mond, the A&M quarterback, got off to a terrific start and then he may have lost a little bit of confidence, particularly in that loss to Alabama, but you know, he played a pretty good game last week, and he's much improved over last year. So, you know, with the two straight wins for A&M, Mon may be starting to get his groove back on here, and it obviously helps when you got a running back like Travion Williams.
2: Yeah, it does help. And, you know, this is a kid that I, I think you look at him, though, and uh, big playability is always there. And that, that's a, kind of a situation where I, when I look at their offense, they can go through, like I said, stretches where they don't do much. And, you really may, maybe think your defense is playing great, think that you're going to lock them down. And then Mon gets outside the pocket and he, he throws the ball up to one of these big play receivers and they go up and get it. And next thing you know, they've scored on, you know, three plays and 80 yards. So I, I think you look at the ability there of, uh, of Texas A&M with Mon to just find plays out of nowhere and it, it, it's dangerous. He's an explosive player. Um, I don't know if he's, necessarily the the shiftiest quarterback in the world but he's very very explosive he gets to top speed very quickly he covers a lot of ground and you know they're dangerous man now in in the passing game I do see him miss some easy throws from time to time now he can he can make big throws on you too he'll he'll throw the ball back across his body at times he's not scared to sort of try for a big play uh, you know he's he can be a gunslinger at times but then you also look some of the underneath stuff where you kind of hope your quarterback can put it on the money and let his receiver keep running, you know, he'll he'll miss some of those touch throws underneath. So I, I think a, a key, we, we all know when South Carolina's winning games, a big reason is because they're getting turnovers. So if if South Carolina's going to win this game, whenever Mond does put the ball in danger, because he will do it from time to time, they got to find a way to, to get the football back on the uh, Garnet and Black side.
1: Mond is mobile, Wes, and he hurt the Gamecocks last year with his ability to run. And one defensive player for the Gamecocks that we know A&M is going to have to account for is Javon Kinlaw. So, you know, I think the consensus is that A&M is probably going to move the pocket a little bit today and get Mond rolling out some to keep him away from Javon Kinlaw.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I think that will be an interesting cat and mouse game as far as how they try to protect and, and how South Carolina tries to attack. i. I think you're gonna need those front four guys, like I said earlier, to find a way to get pressure. Um but you can't you can't get out of your lanes either. You know, I, I think he's a guy that if you blitz him too much, then he's gonna find a way to get you. You look at his, his sort of advanced analytics from pro football focus, he's actually hurt teams a pretty good bit when they've tried to blitz him, and that's because you a lot of times you lose contain or if, if he if he's able to break from the pocket and buy time you're leaving your you know, your defenders on islands on the outside and man coverage. So it, it allows for possible big plays down the field. So uh, I think, yeah, you know, Javon Kenlaw, your Aaron Sterlings, your Bryce Allen Williams, those guys that when they do get one-on-one protection, they're going to have to find a way to get pressure on mind uh, themselves without South Carolina having to bring, you know, extra linebackers blitzing.
1: Wes, the coaching chess match today should be interesting as well with – Muschamp and Fisher having worked together at both Auburn and LSU, they know each other very well. And Muschamp's known as a defensive mind, and Fisher's obviously an offensive-minded coach. And it'll be an interesting matchup just to see what they do to counter one another. And more to that end, Wes, it seems like the Gamecocks have been pretty good with halftime adjustments this year. The third quarter of the Georgia game, the Gamecocks got run over. There's no doubt about that. But with, the, with that lone exception, Gamecock defenses look pretty good in the second half all year, and Gamecocks are playing good defense on third down this year as well. So Carolina hadn't stopped the run at all, but they're not doing everything wrong. They're doing some good things on defense.
2: Yeah, yeah, they are, and I think, um, you know, you, you look at Fisher and, and Muschamp, and not only were they together at LSU, but they, I believe, remained very close friends. Um, you know, I think they have a beach house together in Florida. Obviously, they saw each other every year there for a stretch. Uh, when Mushchamp was at Florida and Jimbo was at Florida State, uh, you know they've they've remained in touch and they 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 know each other's roots. They know, you know, Mushchamp knows why Jimbo's scheme is built the way it is, and Jimbo probably knows how to attack the ins and out of of Muschamp's scheme as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of times in these games, you can't do you can't get away from what you do. So Jimbo and his offense, they're going to do what they do. South Carolina and, and Muschamp's defense, they're going to do what they do. So you can't do a whole lot completely different. You can't reinvent the wheel because then you're just going to put your players in a spot to not execute. But um, will there be adjustments? You know, which guy can sort of maybe tweak something here or there to give an advantage? And, uh, you know, how, how how does that actually play out in, in the game, I, I think, is a very, very interesting talking point and storyline because these guys really do know each other well and, you know, I, I think uh, are, are very close friends and, uh, like you said, South has adjusted at halftime. They've done a good job of that for most of the year. Um, they were much better defensively against Kentucky in the second half. They were much better defensively against Missouri in the second half. So uh, they'll clearly need to, to be that again this week. But I think that gives you some confidence as a program. When you go into halftime, if you're down, if things haven't gone your way, you have that little bit of extra confidence to say, okay, we've been here before, but we know we can we can clean things up.
1: Wes, on the other side of things, the Gamecocks showed showing a commitment to run the football against Missouri, 47 totes in that ball game, at only 2.7 yards a clip, but they were committed to run, so that they didn't become one-dimensional, and they were obviously trying to take some pressure off of Michael Skarniecki, who was making his first start, so A&M's run defense has been fantastic this year, Bentley back in the starting role at quarterback for the Gamecocks and what do you think is going through Jake's mind this week, Wes? You know, having seen Skarnecchia do what he did, obviously he's happy the team won, but it feels like the pressure has ratcheted up even more now on Jake Bentley.
2: Well, I th- you know, I think he's he's clearly going to have to respond uh, to that. And You look at the quarterback position, I don't know if there's truly any competition there. Uh, really going back to, to Jake Bentley's freshman year, you know, there was a big competition there with, with three guys in the mix, and Jake eventually took over you know, as we know in the in the UMass game and was the guy from that moment forward. But uh, you know, you just you look at last season and certainly this season, it was really always Jake Bentley's job to lose and there hasn't been a lot of pressure. So now you see Michael Skarneky go out there and show he can do it and show, you know, that physically there may not be as much difference between these two guys as we thought there was otherwise. And yeah, it does it does bring you a little bit bring a little more pressure to the table. But also uh, I think um you know, competition breeds success. So, whenever you have two guys competing for a position, um, you know, whenever you have two guys that can go win, uh, does, does it make it a little more interesting in the quarterback room? Probably so. But at the same time, does it make your football team a better football team? Absolutely. And now, if if Jake Bentley, for whatever reason, goes, you know, gets banged up again, or or isn't having a great game, the the Skarnecki option is is always there for this coaching staff now.
1: Let's take a look at the rest of the SEC schedule today. Noon kickoff for Florida and Vanderbilt on ESPN. Also a noon kick for Tennessee-Auburn on the SEC Network. 3.30 kick for Georgia-LSU. That's the CBS game this week. Gamecocks and Aggies, 3.30 on the SEC Network. Missouri is at Alabama, 7 o'clock on ESPN. And it's Ole Miss at Arkansas, 7.30 kickoff SEC Network. West A&M's got 11 sacks in the last two games. And what they've done is they have stifled opponents running games and they have proceeded to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. If the Gamecocks are not able to run the football tonight, it seems like Jake Bentley is being put in a difficult spot. And on paper, West, this game screams Texas A&M to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, it does. I think uh, if you're South Carolina, like we said, you kind of you kind of have to find a way, I think, to pass to run. You know, a lot of times you talk about running the football to set up the pass, but I think you're going to have to throw on first down. You're going to have to stretch the field vertically. I think that um, – yeah, this is a team that you look at those sack numbers, and a big part of that is they've been so good against the run that then you turn right back around and you know you you put yourself in a second and long, then a third and long, and then they just pin their ears back and go get you. So um, you got to stay out of those situations. You got to live to fight another drive sometimes. So uh, I think finding a way to stretch the stretch the field vertically and force a and m to defend the pass uh, on first downs because they have been a bit susceptible to the passing game um from what uh mark passwaters had said uh looking at him this year that's sort of been the area where their defense has been vulnerable so i i think that you look at that and uh, it it goes right back to who we're talking about though jake bentley uh, yeah there's a little more pressure on him but i I think jake bentley and his receivers the receivers got to help out they got to go have a big game I think this could be a big week for a Shai Smith possibly matched up there in the slot.
3: Hmm.
2: Um, you know, they have a similar approach to defense to what Vanderbilt did. We saw what Shy did there. Shy had one of his, the biggest catches of his freshman season last year at a and M, a a touchdown from Jake Bentley. So, you know, I think a guy like Shy Smith could possibly have a big game this week.
1: With the exception of Alabama, Alabama put 45 on A&M, and Tua had a huge game, and we all know what Alabama's capable of, but – when teams have hurt the Texas A&M defense this year, they've done it with big plays, passing downfield. You know, vertical passing game. The secondary, if there is a weakness on the A&M defense, that's got to be it. They've given up some big plays in the passing game. And when you can give your quarterback time, West, that's going to set you up to give you chances to do that. And Gamecock pass protection has been very good this year. It's been improved. So that gives you reason to believe that maybe the Gamecocks will be able to you know, find some passing lanes downfield. And I think we're going to find out a lot about Jake Bentley today, Wes. I think this is a, a challenge for him today. I think the experience of missing a start for the first time, he started 24 straight games. So we're in the mm-hmm. third year with Bentley as a starter, and I just think we're going to find out exactly what Jake Bentley's made of today. I think this is his test. I think if he responds and plays well, this team can have success the rest of the year. And if he doesn't, I'm not sure that we won't see Skarnecchia again this year.
2: Well, yeah, I think you certainly – you know, if you're Jake Bentley, you want to not that you pay attention to any of the naysayers, but uh, you know the talk this week from the fan base has been pretty strong about a portion wanting to see Skarnecki again. And uh, you know, I think we have to remember that was one football game against a a pass defense that also has struggled this year. So we, you know, and Skarnecki was great. I mean, considering the position he was put in. Yep. But I think we also have to sort of put the entire thing in perspective as well. So. Um, yeah, but like you said, huge game for Jake Bentley. It's an opportunity for Jake Bentley. Uh, but also you, you don't, you don't want to see, you don't want to see Jake Bentley go out there and struggle early on. And then the staff have to be in the position of having to make that decision mid game. But, um, the other side of that is Jake Bentley has a chance to go out there, possibly beat a top 25 team to silence some of the naysayers and, uh, you know, if he goes out and can spread the football around early on, then that's going to be what helps South Carolina turn right back around and have every opportunity to run the football.
1: Gamecock Central's Game Day podcast, Emerson Phillips with Wes Mitchell. Glad to have you along. we still got Colin Taylor, our staff writer, coming up. We're going to hear from Mark Passwaters as well. He's with AggieYale.com, our Rivals Network partner. We're going to get keys to victory from both of them. And we're going to take a call on the Gamecock Central hotline today. we got a call from a listener in Florida, big Gamecock fan down there, has a question for Wes. So we're going to listen to that call, and we're going to let Wes answer that question. And we would encourage you to get involved with our game day podcast, the Gamecock Central Hotline, open for you 24-7. The number is 803-497-9058, 497 Call that number anytime, 24 hours a day. Leave us a voicemail, questions, comments, feedback. We welcome you to call the Gamecock Central Hotline, and Wes will answer your question on next week's Game Day podcast. No game next week, obviously, by week coming up, but we will return in two weeks with the Game Day podcast. Let's go ahead and go to the Gamecock Central hotline. Tyler from Florida wants to talk to Wes.
3: Hi, this is Tyler uh, Rice down in Lakeland, Florida. Love the podcast. My question today is, uh, do you believe that this Texas A&M game is a bit of a measuring stick um, or a defining game uh, as far as part of our the Gamecocks season this year, because if the Gamecocks don't win um, this Saturday, um, I think it's reasonable to say that we could potentially lose to Clemson as well. And at the end of it all, uh, that will mean that in three years, well, Muschamp has not beaten Georgia, has not beaten Clemson, has not beaten Texas A&M, and has not beaten Kentucky. That's all of our rivals and a basketball school. Um love the podcast. Um, love hearing other Gamecocks talk about it all. And uh, have a good one. Hey,
1: Tyler, we appreciate the kind words. We thank you for calling in on the Gamecock Central Hotline. West. Yeah, I
3: think,
2: um, you know, to Tyler's point there, this is a very key game for South Carolina because it, it could potentially swing the expectations back up to probably the number a lot of people had in their head preseason. I, I think early on a lot of people were thinking, you know, nine wins during the regular season, possibly 10, I, I think, you know, optimistically. But um, the way the season has started, two and two to start the year, now three and two with the win over Missouri, the expectations got shifted a little bit. And, you know, I, I think to his point, every game is probably a swing game. My week, next week, clearly. But then Tennessee after that, Tennessee is a team South Carolina will be favored over. But you you never can. You never can assume a South Carolina win over Tennessee either, frankly. So I think every game is sort of a swing game moving forward. But certainly if South Carolina wins this, you're 4-2 and going into the bye. You're riding high. You get a bunch of guys back healthy after the bye week. A Tennessee team coming into town, as I said, Carolina will be favored against. And you got a real shot at being 5-2. and So I think you you look at all those things and you say that the season – uh, it, you know, the season, could, to his point, the season could really turn as far as what South Carolina has got a chance to to accomplish if they can find a way to beat the Aggies. 3.30 kick today, South
1: Carolina, Texas A&M. Tyler, thanks again for calling the Gamecocks Central Hotline. That number again, 803-497-9058. Give us a call. Get involved with the Gamecocks Central Game Day Podcast. Wes, huge recruiting weekend for the Gamecocks, and I heard you on 107.5 The Game in Columbia That's the flagship station of the Gamecock Radio Network uh, talking about some of the recruits that will be on campus for the game today. And scheduled to visit is five-star running back Quavaris Crouch from Charlotte. Wes, I wanted to hear you talk about him. And apparently Deion Sanders' son is supposed to be in town too? Yeah, that's
2: true. Uh, Quavaris Crouch, uh, yeah, and primetime's kid will be in (laughs) in town uh, or scheduled to be in town, I should say. Um, You know, uh, Crouch – was actually expected for the Georgia game, South Carolina-Georgia game, and uh, had to cancel last minute and uh, didn't make it in. So that'll be a guy that we're tracking to see if he makes it in, but he is on the expected visitors list we put together and put on Gamecock Central each week, each home game. Um, he's on there, so that'll be a guy to track. And then, uh, yeah, Shiloh Sanders, who actually lives in Texas, is Prime Times kid. Uh, staying some messages with him. On uh, Thursday, he confirmed that he will be in Columbia, that this is an official visit. South Carolina offered him late last week. Um, He is at a really a powerhouse school, I think. They're undefeated. He actually didn't play a whole lot last year, but um, has had a big senior year and has really popped up on the radar late. Florida State, obviously where Deion Sanders played, um, has offered him now as well. So he's seen some big offers roll in really in the last, like, half of a month or so
1: well Deion Sanders is one of the best players in the history of the sport and if his son is anything
2: like him he's got a bright future Wes I haven't seen the kid play obviously but I mean if if he's he's got Deion Sanders DNA then it's it's worth a shot right (laughs) yeah he's starting ahead of the game that's for sure all right, Wes, yeah. I wanted
1: to ask you about Ryan Helinski as well. Gamecock commit, uh, scheduled to enroll early. He's due to be in Columbia in early January, but he got an offer from Stanford. This is a young man from California. A very interesting story and a, a, what seems like a fantastic kid, and I know you've gotten to know him uh, throughout uh, the last mm-hmm. couple of years. So talk about the situation with Helinski. Wes, no reason at all to believe that Helinski may entertain this offer, but Stanford obviously a very prestigious school, and – just to get an offer from them is a feather in the cap of anyone. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think that's a that's an honor to get an offer from Stanford. Um, Certainly, it says something about you, not just as a player, but as a um, as a student and as a person. And yep. you know, they don't send out offers just uh, just to send out offers. It's a big process about whether you can get in there as well. And um, the uh, admissions process at Stanford is is crazy. So uh, you know, just for him to get that offer is a, is a great honor for Ryan. It says something about him. You know, he's really, he's been very consistent in saying throughout the process that he's firmly committed to South Carolina. Um, I mean, we're, I mean, it's almost mid-October now. So he, uh, he'll he be graduating in December and enrolling uh, like the first week of January at South Carolina. So that, that's not far away at all. And this is a pretty late offer. I, I think sir, if Stanford would offered, you know, a year ago, then I, I would think this would be pretty tough to turn down. But then, you look at the fact that they've already sort of been making plans to get to South Carolina. I have not – I want to be clear, I've not spoken with Ryan personally since he got the offer, but um, he's been pretty clear throughout the process that, you know, South Carolina is where he wants to be. Wes, do you think
1: Stanford has had some success over the years maybe coming in and offering, particularly California kids, late? You know, I think a lot of kids would covet a scholarship opportunity like that to a school like Stanford, and I'm wondering why they waited so long to offer him. And maybe you know they're hoping that he might flip at the last minute.
2: Yeah, I I don't know what they what they were waiting on. That's an interesting question. I think um, you know you you look at quarterback recruiting. It's always interesting. A lot a lot of times your guy you go get your guy early. You know, and I don't know if they've had some some misses on the recruiting trail or just it. Maybe it's one of these things where they look at him and say. um, we were wrong early on this guy's just too good to pass on uh, potentially uh you know i don't know exactly what they were thinking there but um you know we've we've seen other schools come in late for ryan as well not this late but you know the southern Cal offer was pretty late and i think southern Cal thought they had a real chance to try and flip him and he really just never even entertained that so um it's something worth tracking at the very least but uh you know i it is kind of odd that they would offer this late
1: so, Stanford has uh, reached all the way across the country, he gotten a couple of players from South Carolina in recent years. David Olson, the former quarterback at Irmo High School, played four years at Stanford, ultimately transferred to Clemson, but got some time in the NFL. And current Stanford receiver, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, is from Dorman. He was the 2014 South Carolina State Player of the Year, Die. the Gatorade Player of the Year. And... I had people asking me at that time why Arcega-Whiteside would go all the way all across the country, and I said it's Stanford. You know, a pretty yeah. obvious reason to me. So, And Arcega-Whiteside's having a huge year for Stanford, by the way. If you haven't seen Stanford play, he's having a big year for them. So that's good to see. So it'll be interesting to see if this is an issue at all with Helensky, But uh, all indications, Wes, from, really from since he made his commitment and really before that, or that Halinsky's a Gamecock, and he'll be here in January.
2: Yeah, that, that's been the plan, and, uh, you know, he's – He's put in countless hours recruiting others to join him in Columbia as well. So I, I don't That's think you right. should discount that either, how much attention and time he's put into this recruiting class. and He's a leader. He's a kid you want really running your team and program. So um, I, I don't think you can either you – know, we've talked about him a ton, but I don't think you can, you can even overstate just what Ryan Helensky means for this South Carolina program once they can get him uh, to campus.
1: All right, it's time now for Keys to Victory, and we'll start with the Gamecocks. We'll throw it over to Colin Taylor, staff writer with Gamecock Central.
0: All right, so obviously, South Carolina has had some trouble stopping the run, and, and Texas A&M is one of the best rushing attacks in the country, uh, with Travion Williams leading the SEC right now uh, coming into this weekend and yards. And you know, stopping him is going to be priority number one, and stopping that rushing attack. They, uh, Kellen Mond ran over this all over the defense last year, and if they can slow them down in the rushing game and force him on pass, which he's a better passer this year. And South Carolina has a pretty good shot. And um, offensively, I think you got to come out and you got to be aggressive um, pretty quickly and, and try and go up and make Texas A&M a one-dimensional team. Um, easier said than done, but I think if they do that, then it, they'll hopefully come out with the win. It'll be close, I think, for a little bit, but I just don't know if that run defense is going to be able to hold up against um, such a potent attack like what Texas A&M has. Thank
1: you, Colin Taylor. That's our staff writer from Gamecock Central. And now for Texas A&M's keys to victory, we'll throw it over to Mark Passwaters with AggieYell.com.
0: Okay, uh, two keys for A&M to win Saturday. Uh, First, establish the running game. They have done that the last couple of weeks. Travion Williams leads the SEC in rushing. Uh, Obviously, Carolina has had a little bit of trouble stopping the run. A&M would like to go out there, establish the running game, control time of possession, and just basically wear South Carolina down the way they did Kentucky last week. On defense, it's very uh, very simple. Minimize the damage Jake Bentley and Michael Scarnecchia can do in the passing game. Because that's been AM's problem. They have shut down the run. They've been very good on third down conversion defense. But if they have a problem, they've given up a lot of big plays through the air. That's got to be the concern. If they can keep those to a minimum, then they'll have a very good chance of winning the ballgame.
1: Thank you, Mark. Mark Passwaters from AggieYale.com, our Rivals Network partner. We had a good podcast with him and the Texas A&M perspective earlier this week. You can check that out here on Gamecock Central Radio. All right, Wes, I got one more item for you before we wrap it up today and get ready for kickoff for the Gamecocks and the Aggies. The governors of South Carolina and Texas play for a trophy. When the Gamecocks and Aggies meet, they have a trophy that the winner, that, that governor gets the trophy for the year. So for the last four years, the Texas governor has had the Bonham Trophy, and I'm wondering if you have you heard about this, Wes, and do you know anything about James Bonham, the man that is named after?
3: Uh,
2: I I had no idea <laughs> about any of this until I saw it on Twitter this week. Okay, uh, I guess it, Muschamp was asked about it. Yep. at the SEC teleconference, but um, no, I. I and i looked i was like this is really a th- i thought i was still asleep when i was like <laughs> that i was dreaming cuz like how i mean i covered the team and i and i guess never heard the of it. coach had no idea either so right. I, well, the schools... I i didn't know what in the world they were talking about
1: okay well you're not alone and that's why i brought it up the schools don't really have anything to do with it except for the fact that it's the winner of their game that the the the, tr- the trophy goes to the governor yeah. of that state so it's just a bet between the governors and they made a trophy and james Bonham yeah. is a south carolinian who was born in the Red Bank area. He was born in what is modern-day uh, Saluda County, and he fought at the Alamo. He was killed at the Alamo. Uh, okay. And his younger brother was a brigadier general for the Confederacy and later served as governor of South Carolina. And I, I bring all this up today, Wes, because I live on Bonham Road right off of Rosewood Drive, and I know that my street is named after this guy. When I heard that this week, I said, well, that that makes sense. I'm going to bring that up on the <laughs> podcast this week. So. Maybe Henry McMaster will be able to get the James Bonham Trophy in South Carolina for the first time. We're about to find out, Wes. It's going to be a fun matchup today. We appreciate you here on the GC Game Day Podcast. Thanks, man. Let's do it again in a couple weeks. Yeah, next week. Bye-week. So enjoy the bye and come back in a couple weeks and join us for another Gamecock Central Game Day Podcast with Wes Mitchell. I'm Emerson Phillips. Thanks for being with us and enjoy the ball game.